0: You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'm good. I'm good. What's up everybody? Welcome to GoJo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me as always on the ones and twos, Brandon Newman. Brandon, how we doing?
2: chilling out maxing relaxing our cooling how about yourself
0: i can't complain man um i have managed to do what feels impossible on god's internet in the last couple of days and survive long enough without getting uh succession season four episode three spoiled for me by the internet have you been uh have you been as lucky brandon
2: i almost called you brandon mike you know damn well i haven't been so lucky i'm over here trying to Keep my composure because I read two to three words back to back in a sentence about secession last night or Sunday night. That I'm, I'm, I would like to get into the content, so I don't think about that as much, but.
0: I just I, I, I feel badly for you. Obviously, we're not going to talk about that today. I think we're going to save that later in the week. Dad's going to join the podcast. I'm pretty sure he's been watching so we can kind of get into it and give you time to actually watch and digest what was one of the most shocking, big-time HBO TV moments that we've had in quite some time. Live appointment viewing was never more valuable than it was this Sunday night. Um... I'm not going to get into any of the spoilers here, but Brandon, it did remind me because it was an excellent episode of television. It was gripping from start to finish. And a lot of people had their lives ruined by the internet spoiling. And I saw a lot of that discourse online and it just took me back to game of Thrones. I believe it was the season six finale where The White Walkers got a dragon and I had that moment, (laughs) one of the biggest in these long run of Game of Thrones, spoiled for me by Herm Edwards on Mike and Mike back in 2017. Herm Edwards, who with 10 seconds left to go before the end of the segment, before the hard out at the end of the hour, decided that he had to give me one little kernel, one little morsel of information that he thought... After he was told by me that I hadn't watched it, that I had been waiting all morning, staying offline, having no one in the room as a part of the staff spoil it for me because they were the only ones with the power to do so. Even with all those stop signs up, Herm Edwards decided to look dead in my eyes and proclaim, the bad guy's got a dragon. As the one little thing that he had to tell me, it is still to this day one of the bigger acts of violence ever committed to me by someone on air. And I saw a lot of people going through it. So my thoughts and prayers go out to you, but just know, stumbling upon it on Twitter pales in comparison to having that dagger plunged into your heart on national TV and radio.
2: I would say, speaking of the internet, there's two different people in the internet. Obviously, the ones that saw the... The white dress and the gold dress or the blue dress and the black dress like the binary nature of the internet i feel like is the same when it comes to spoiler alerts because i'm one of those people that like if i watch something and i know what's happening and what's coming i'm not even going to be like the watch this person to to my like spouse or whoever i'm sitting there watching it with and then there's other people mike and i imagine herm edwards is one of those guys that is narrating what is about to happen before it even happens. And, the, and just thinking that they're just watching the show like everyone else. No, no one's the wiser. No, stop it. And, I be, and, and the way Harm Edwards
0: is wired, he was way too excited to spoil that news. He was, he was, he walked back in. So we went to break. I'm sitting there next to my dad in stunned silence because I had walked in first thing that morning and asked, pleaded with everyone. I said, I have deleted Twitter off my phone. I'm not going on the internet during the body of this show. (laughs) You people in this room are the only ones that can ruin this for me. And I'm asking you as my friends to not do that. Herm got that same speech did that, walked out of the room like a movie character walking away after throwing a match and watching a building blow up, and then had the gall to walk back in about 45 minutes later as he's coming back from another hit in the building, and he just walks back into the studio and yells, the bad guy's got a dragon, just to rub it in my face again. So I don't know what I ever did to Herm Edwards. He and I have always had a pretty good relationship, even still, and yet somehow in that moment, he wanted to hurt me. Because, again, with spoilers, Part of it is the work you have to do. I'm a firm believer in if I know something's coming up and I'm not going to have a chance to watch, I do my best to stay away from places that are going to spoil it. I use the mute features on Twitter where you can mute words, you can mute topics. I try all those things to do my best to barricade myself in. And then I also understand that once I hear, and it was three minutes into the new episode of Succession, when I had people texting me, when I had tweets coming my way, just exclaiming how exciting and how shocking this all was, yeah. <laughs> And that was all the signal I needed to know, hey, I got to step away and I got to make sure, one, I get this watched as soon as possible, but two, before then, I don't put myself in harm's way. So you got to meet people halfway, but also everybody else out there has to have a little bit of common decency and understand in a world where streaming has now become so much a part of this conversation, you got to have a little common courtesy. You got to give it like 24 to 48 before you start popping off with obvious spoilers on the timeline. To me, that's just common courtesy. I I don't think I'm too far off. Off on that Brandon
2: no but you're very online Mike and I think that's a courtesy it's like online chivalry and I think that's what you're exercising right now
0: and online chivalry should not be dead we got a great show for you guys today as always make sure you download subscribe rate and review leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel Especially now, Brandon, we have done glowed up out here. The fine people at DraftKings saw fit to upgrade the tech a little bit. And so if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing better quality, better backgrounds. Me probably struggling to look up and down between my computer where I can see Brandon and up top at the camera where I can see all of you. And so bear with us (laughs) as we go through the change. But hopefully people enjoy it, Ryan. And I have enjoyed seeing you in a much more crystal clear HD.
2: Thank you. I I, I agree. I think everyone is waiting to see you as crystal clear as they've been seeing me and seeing how shiny I am. I I do warn you, you do have to shower more frequently. You can't hide. Uh,
0: What? You don't think so? You You can't. These HD cameras pick up the stink. But I guess what is more frequently like, are you often when like when's your shower schedule? Because I always tend to try and hold my one. I try and shower once a day, and I try and do it after a workout so that I don't have to do it again, and that way I am clean when I get into bed later on that night, and usually clean for this show. Do you do it differently?
2: You you're privileged, Mike. The fact that you can work out every day is a privileged ass shit. And I can't can't fight with you about it. I I live in Florida, so going outside at all makes you dirty and nasty and sticky. And I try to get a shower in uh, once a day, but I can't say that I get one in once a day before we get to recording again. So, you know, sometimes sometimes your boy is out here shiny.
0: That's fair. I forgot the Florida factor. I would 100% be in the same boat I was when I got out here last summer in L.A. And it was hot and humid as we got into July and August. So, Grace given as we move to this new chapter, but again, all the more reason to check out the YouTube channel. Got an awesome guest for you guys today, ESPN NBA analyst JJ Redick, the host of the Old Man of the Three podcast, going to stop by and help us get ready for the NBA postseason. Brandon, we walked out of that interview, both you and I, just looking at each other shell-shocked, going, oh yeah, there's a reason everybody wants to pay this guy money to talk about the NBA. He is... As efficient and informative a podcast guest as we have ever had on this show. I feel pretty comfortable saying that.
2: I feel like I shouldn't be speaking on the same podcast that J.J. Redick is speaking on because of the level of expertise and just overall being impressed with everything that came out of his mouth uh, during this interview. I don't want to hype it up too much, but it's the best interview we've ever done. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so make sure you stick around for that. Uh, we'll have plenty more on that and Rudy Gobert getting thrown out the club for punching people in the face. Well, not really in the face, in the chest. Then that's going to be a whole part of this. It is has birthed this story an incredible new online version of Adrian, Adrian Warjanowski. But, Brandon, in addition to that, we also had uh, some conversation pop up in the NFL yesterday per a report from ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, who pointed out and reported that six teams have reached out to the Arizona Cardinals inquiring about their status as the third overall pick in the draft. And it really gave me a chance to stop, sit, and realize that the Arizona Cardinals might be sitting as pretty relative to their circumstance in this draft as anybody there is. Why do I say that? Because we know... The Cardinals are dealing with Kyler Murray coming off of a knee injury who might not even be ready for the start of the season. Kyler Murray, who, while they have committed large sums of money to him, was part of a situation with a ton of friction last year with Cliff Kingsbury, who is no longer the coach there. Steve Kine, the GM from the top down. It did not seem like a situation where everybody involved was on the same page with how they felt about one another. You had the homework clause, all that stuff in there. It's not a perfect situation, but... Because you've already committed all of that money to the quarterback position, you're not going to be in the market for one of the guys that we've got at the top of a very quarterback, rich quarterback, heavy draft in the first round. And because Kyler Murray's not going to be back out on the field, because you just had to fire your old coaching staff and bring in Jonathan Gannon and this new crew to try and fix things, The expectations are very low for what this Cardinals team could and should accomplish next season. And so where does that leave them now? It leaves them at the top, because they were bad, of a quarterback-rich draft, not needing a quarterback, and having a lot of options. And so they sit in a great place because... You could, if you're the Cardinals, listen to any of these offers, you've got eight picks in the draft right now, move back and collect even more to help address the many needs that you have, especially along the offensive and defensive line. Defensively, you lost Zach Allen, you lost J.J. Watt, you lost about half your sack production, Marcus Golden, all to free agency or retirement. And so you've got to replenish the coffers on that side. Your O-line has struggled a lot in recent years to protect Kyler Murray, and you've allowed DeAndre Hopkins to go and seek a trade to see if he wants to finish off the last $30 million or so of his contract elsewhere. And with all of those holes you need to plug, moving back would absolutely be a smart, justified move. Also sitting there at three, you're in prime position to pick either one of the two blue chip defensive prospects of this draft. Will Anderson Jr. coming out of Alabama okay. and J- and Jalen Carter coming out of Georgia, whichever one you want. You could justify both of those guys if you were me talking about the Arizona Cardinals Jonathan uh, excuse me Jalen Carter probably pound for pound he's Mel Kiper's I think number 1 on his big board right now and for my money for what I've watched of the guy probably the best at what he does of anyone in the draft right we know that we're going to hear all of the things you know the character concerns that people keep talking about or you know what they say about his motor or what do you Forget all that stuff for right now. Just talking about what he does on the field for you. There aren't a lot of people walking this earth that can do those things. And Jonathan Gannon, coming over from Philadelphia last year, who knows the value of interior pass rush and how much that can affect the way your defense operates, certainly could benefit from a guy like that. They also, as we said, don't have any DN, so Will Anderson equally as viable in that spot. So. Brandon, they're sitting really pretty right now. And along with the Colts, I think are going to dictate a lot of the fun that we could potentially have night one of the NFL draft.
2: Well, talk about fun, Mike. Let's not forget that the Arizona Cardinals had a quarterback when they drafted Kyler Murray. They had another first round on their roster by the name of Josh Rosen out of UCLA. And I think that is one I'm most interested in, Mike, is because the Cardinals could possibly get into a draft room and be like, You know what? Let's take Anthony Richardson. He's still there.
0: So the only reason I don't think that is just because... Josh Rosen was a former first-round pick, but still on a rookie contract. So it's a lot less financial commitment Uh, than what they have done for Kyler Murray at this point. And that, I think, changes the math on that decision, even for a guy like Anthony Richardson that everyone wants to talk about as maybe have him sit a year, maybe have him get his feet under him. We can debate that another day. But I think that's going to leave them largely out of this conversation at quarterback. The interesting part about this conversation becomes – Adam Schefter reported six teams had reached out and trying to figure out who might be in range and motivated enough to want to jump up there. And I'd assume get in on the quarterback thing, right? Because we've got the Panthers at number one who are going to take a quarterback for sure. The Texans at number two, who are pretty 99% sure are going to take a quarterback. And now, The prospect of moving up to three would probably indicate you want the third of C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, or Anthony Richardson, who we expect to be the first three quarterbacks off the board. And looking down at the draft list, so you've got the Indianapolis Colts behind them, who are the other gatekeeper team up top. The only one that stood up at NFL owners meetings and said out loud that, yeah, Lamar Jackson is a player of interest to them and have the wild card in Jim Ursay who could be the one to break the rank and file and go and try and give him the money potentially that he's seeking. If the Colts are going to get involved in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes potentially, I would imagine they would have to get that done before the draft because if you're the Colts, same deal as we talked about with the Cardinals, you're bringing in a new head coach in Shane Steichen You've gotten the quarterback position so wrong in recent years since Andrew Luck. With the exception of the Phillip Rivers year, you got to the playoffs, he played well, but you haven't meaningfully addressed that position in quite some time. And last year, it finally bit you in the ass in a real way. And so, in my mind, that's a team that if you're not going to go and try and swing for someone like Lamar Jackson, you've got to be able to sell your fan base. And in a year where we've got a lot of high-end quarterbacks – I'd imagine think about taking one near the top of the draft. So I'd imagine that's going to be push come to shove before we get to draft weekend at the end of April. But you go on past that. The Seattle Seahawks sitting there at five, just re-signed Geno Smith. It's not a contract that's prohibiting them going out and potentially drafting a young guy who would be on one of those affordable rookie deals. They probably need defense more. I have seen the Mina Kimes tweets thirsting for Will Anderson. Should he make his way all the way down there at five? And I get Mm -hmm. it. You played really well with Geno, outperformed expectations last year. That's a team that feels like right now where the NFC West sits, yeah, we all imagine it's San Francisco's division to lose if their quarterback situation gets worked out and they've got someone healthy enough to go out and do the damn thing. But beyond that, We know. The Rams are in a different mode, trying to retool the Cardinals we just talked about. So, Seattle... Expanded playoffs, you got to feel pretty good about things. Going defense with a guy like Will Anderson or if Jalen Carter, whichever version of them potentially made it down there, would make sense. But they could be one. The Detroit Lions, who have been very publicly pro-Jared Goff this offseason, whether it's their front office, whether it's Dan Campbell talking about him publicly, they've all said the right things, that he's done enough to earn the opportunity to be their starter next year, that they love what he's been doing. That all still, to me, doesn't seem like they would totally be out of this if they were so moved by one of these quarterbacks, like of course, Dan Campbell, Brandon is going to say the guy that worked really hard, made the best of what his hand was and gritted it out for them last year. And Jared Goff is a guy that he would love to see play out there. That's all the Dan Campbell that we know, as far as the former player earning your place, rallying the troops and saying all the right things publicly. So that doesn't surprise me all that much. And still doesn't make me believe that they're fully out of the conversation about taking a quarterback.
2: Mike, They should be because it's not just the name Jared Goff and the trade that got him there. It's what he did last year. It's what he did without Jamison Williams, who is apparently, from Aiden Hutchinson's mouth, is uh, shocking and awing a lot of people. Like I think Jared Goff is proven in a very Geno Smith way that we can't talk about him like we used to because the product on the field has changed.
0: So I don't think it's changed that much with Goff. I think this is always who he's been. I think Ben Johnson's offense in Detroit was something that was a marvel to behold last year. Them holding on to him, that continuity matters a lot. Good offensive line in front of them that could add another spot at right guard and become great. Like you mentioned, Jamison Williams to go along with Amon Ross St. Brown. You've got a ton of weapons around there, and we've seen in the past. When Jared Goff had weapons and when things were on schedule in Los Angeles, he could be a really good quarterback for you. He's just not a great quarterback that's going to alter your circumstances beyond what's around him. The argument for me, if you're Detroit and weren't going to dip into this, would be, defensively we saw what went on last year you need more of the cavalry on that side Aiden Hutchinson popped had the great interception plays was productive as the year went along rushing the passer but that's still a side of the ball that was the weakness on the team and so yeah you could go that route if you're Detroit but I'm just trying to suppose who would pick up the phone because it's not saying all six teams that reach out to the Cardinals are necessarily in dire need of a quarterback I'm just trying to figure out who could pick up the phone because once you get past them, Raiders at seven, Jimmy G in that contract, in my mind, same thought of you're not prohibited from going after a young player. The Atlanta Falcons. I get you might like Desmond Ritter. I didn't see enough last year, especially with where you took him in the draft, to say that he is a non-starter for a team going out and adding more quarterbacks. Still surprising that they raised their hand to bow out of the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes as early as they did. But they should absolutely be picking up the phone. And then, once you get down to nine... You got the Chicago Bears, who already traded back from Carolina at the number one spot, where if they had really wanted a quarterback, which we know and had that conversation, wasn't going to be the case. The Philadelphia Eagles after that, good on quarterback. The Tennessee Titans at 11, could potentially be in that mix, right? The Malik Willis draft pick last year did not bear fruit early, and Ryan Tannehill – Looks like this will probably be his last contract in Tennessee. And then you're back at Houston after that, the Jets who are in the Rogers situation, the Patriots at 14, and then all of a sudden you're kind of out of range. So again, finding six teams in that window reaching out would lead you to believe that some of these teams that are kind of straddling the line at quarterback right now still might be looking and just seeing what it might cost, doing their due diligence.
2: You don't think the Commanders is one of those teams? Obviously, they're all the way down there at 16th. But they're in desperate need of a quarterback.
0: They are. I mean, they've talked pretty glowingly publicly about Sam Howell. They use that as the reason why they wouldn't be going after Lamar Jackson. And I guess it's just one of those things to move from 16 up to 3. I'd have to look historically at draft comp, draft pick compensation, but... We can go back and look and and look up and see what the Carolina Panthers gave up to get from nine to one, and then multiply that by X if you're talking Uh, about from getting 16 up to three. And so, I, I just, once you get into that range, you're giving up so, so much for a team in Washington who's already kind of in a weird spot right now with the potential ownership change and everything else that's going on that might alter a lot around your franchise.
2: Okay, Mike. So, if you are, if you you, you specifically, are the Arizona Cardinals, what's the smartest move you make?
0: I would trade back. I would say... More tickets to the party, the better for a team whose horizon is a little bit more long-term right now based on the expectation with the Kyler Murray injury, where your roster's at from an overall health standpoint, and the fact that Jonathan Gannon is just in year one as a head coach. It allows you to take a little bit more long-term view of a situation that clearly got away from you in a lot of ways with that roster. And so I would trade back. I would get the picks there depending on who you trade back with, we talked about in that range, you're still in range for some of the other, you know, Tyree Wilson and some of the other edge prospects in this draft, if you want to add in that area. And so I think that would be the smartest move, but again, for them, Because the other option is take Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, you're really in a win-win situation. And so Cardinals fans who haven't had much to feel good about in a while have something that they can feel good about walking into this draft knowing that they are in a definite position of power. So uh, very excited to watch how that goes down for them. As we get closer and closer to draft weekend, we'll keep pumping out more stuff there. We'll have some exciting draft coverage content we'll be able to tell you about here soon. But Brandon, yeah, between the Cardinals and the Colts, I think that's where the fun really is going to deliver in the NFL draft for all the reasons that we talked about. Cardinals in a position of power and Colts in a position where I think they've got to do something, either acquiring more capital, either making a move on Lamar Jackson or taking one of these top end quarterback prospects to show – this franchise is going to finally commit resources towards that position. And who knows, maybe it's stockpiling resources towards next year and understanding that maybe you're not in a position to be very good still and Caleb Williams and the guys that we're going to talk about in next year's quarterback draft class might be appealing to you from a long-term standpoint, but it still feels like, given the Jim Ursay factor of it all, they're going to do some wild shit around draft weekend. We just don't know what yet. But Brandon, speaking of wild stuff, we got the NBA play-in games that are going to get started tonight as uh, we get set to release this podcast on Tuesday. We'll have the first two play-in games on the east side. They'll be the early game, the 7.30 p.m. Eastern tip uh, between Atlanta and Miami. And then the late game featuring the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers. And the reason that this one got all sorts interesting is because the Minnesota Timberwolves decided to suspend Rudy Gobert for punching his teammate Kyle Anderson in a huddle in their game on Sunday. Um, now, what this has netted us from an Adrian Wojnarowski content perspective has been incredible. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider tweeted out this explaining the situation. The Timberwolves had to suspend Gobert for throwing a punch, but accepted that it was a shot to the chest with no intent to injure Kyle Anderson and understood that Anderson called Gobert quote, a bitch repeatedly on a night where Gobert was playing hurt. Sources told ESPN, these are the tea spillingest sources I have heard in quite some time, Brandon. Woj had to be like a kid in a candy store getting to curse on his main account here and have at it like that. So, I, 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 I think... That's big Journalism. Th- hey, listen. Going out there and making sure people have the fullest view of the situation provided to him by the person who would want to paint the most gratifying picture of Rudy Gobert... Two things jumped to mind in this one sources basically said Rudy Gobert's hands don't work more or less (laughs) with no intent to injure is calling your punch very soft. And I don't know what kind of guy Rudy Gobert fancies himself. Clearly in this case, he felt like he got pushed a little bit too far. Kyle Anderson, by all accounts, sounds like a guy that runs a little hot. I think I saw, uh, there was a piece someone was doing talking about his leadership style where Rudy Gobert, of all people, was quoted saying he's going to be very blunt, he's going to say things very directly, and I love that. And in this case, someone even put together clips of the sequence that ultimately led up to this, where you had Kyle Allen and others funneling defenders toward Rudy Gobert in the paint, and him whether he was unable to because of the back or unable to because of a number of other things, wasn't affecting shots in the way that Kyle Anderson thought he should be affecting shots. And so he was going over there and telling him to block some shots, called him a bitch a couple of times, and we see what happened here. The second thing that sticks out about this, Brandon, is what it says already about the Timberwolves as an organization and their viewpoint of Rudy Gobert. Rudy Mm -hmm. Gobert, who they gave up a king's ransom in their trade with the Utah Jazz to get over here and play this Twin Towers role opposite Carl Anthony Towns to try and fill out a roster around Anthony Edwards, their burgeoning young star. The fact that they are willing to suspend him for this game, and this suspension came from the Timberwolves, so the fact that they're willing to suspend him for a playing game where if they just win this one game against the Lakers, they're in. They lose that game and they got to play the winner of the 9-10 bracket that we'll talk about between the Pelicans and the Thunder on the Western Conference side. But the fact that they're willing to let him sit for this game after all they invested in him shows just how far out they've got to be now on Rudy Gobert based on what happened this season. Because, Brandon, you and I both know if this had been a star player, if this had been Anthony Edwards on the Timberwolves yeah. team, I'd imagine they'd have tried and tried and tried to find any way possible to make sure that their punishment fell just short of taking him off the court for that game coming up tonight.
2: You know how they do that, Mike? They, there's ways to, to make sure you have a specific outcome. I think they have like things called players' meetings. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, guys, the players, you decide what's going to happen here. We want you guys to be in a good headspace going into the playing games. And I bet you that's exactly what the front office did with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I guarantee that Anthony Edwards and Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, told the team, hey, y'all sit, go bear. We don't need that distraction around us right now. Like, he's not not doing much for us, X, Y, and Z. Like, I think he needs to learn a lesson. The way that Cat... And Anthony Edwards barely even flinched when Gru- Rudy Go- Gobert threw his Incredible. very soft hand. We talked about this yesterday on the podcast. I don't know who on that squad was excited about Rudy Gobert's being traded there from from the Utah Jazz. But I guarantee the players are f- trying to find any way that they can get him up off the court. And this is it.
0: I, I, yeah, I, I, it, it it reeks of that. Because again, this is a league especially where the star players are such needle movers and of such importance to the team that you're going to find a way, even if the rest of the public looks at it and sees it clearly for what it is. And you mentioned it, we saw the reports that there was going to be a meeting amongst the players, they were going to talk about this, they're grown men and we're going to handle it and talk it out, and that yielded this result? Because, again, you could have lightened his wallet. You could have found any other number of ways to try and just say, hey, we handled this internally. They handled it amongst them. Because, listen, it's not the first time we've seen people get into scuffles on the sideline. Yeah, he technically threw a punch, even though this, to me, is more like an offensive line punch where it looked like kind of a mush or kind of a shove. Yeah, Yeah. where you could have easily excused it away. Hell, we saw Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen getting into it on the sideline for the commanders this uh, last season. And what do they say? Yeah, you know, these close guys, they know each other for a long time. They get into it, not a big deal. We're certainly not going to try and take one of those guys off the field. At least last I checked, there wasn't, I don't believe, I don't remember there being a suspension in that case. And so. I just look at this, and it, it is very telling now for where this team is. And I saw ESPN NBA reporter Myra, or basketball reporter Myron Metcalf, who has spent two decades of his life in Minneapolis and Minnesota, and said, this is a team that's starting to realize, if they're not careful, they're going to mess up the cash with Anthony Edwards. And that's the Ooh. thing you can't afford to do right now, because he is capital S special. And the last thing you want to do is mess up what you've got going with your most important commodity. Myron compared it to what's going on in Dallas with Luka right now, and Mm. I don't think that's far off. This was... An ill fated move from the start, one that didn't make a lot of sense to everyone outside of that team when it was happening. And what you've seen as far as the results this year haven't indicated that there's really reason to believe it's going to get any better. Sunk, ca- uh, sunk cost fallacy idea. You got to find a way to preserve the most important part of this. And the most important part of this is, in fact, Anthony Edwards.
2: You say he's capital S for special he's also capi, capital c for confident and i feel like that confidence could possibly dwindle uh being on that team and just seeing feeling like okay i am this special star why can't i elevate this team to in, in a way that you know you see the donovan mitchells of the world uh, speaking of rudy gobert's old dancing partner like like i think anthony edwards might be looking around like okay maybe it's not me maybe it's y'all and then we get you know another super team getting built elsewhere.
0: Yep, you don't want that mess. So again, message sent loud and clear about just how much the Timberwolves think of Rudy Gobert based on a one-game suspension that now, I mean, they I would imagine, based on how the Lakers have played since the All-Star break this season, going to lose to the Lakers when that game pops off later tonight. Congratulations to you, Brandon, who continue to get to cash right. in on the ticket you bought for this team when they started making moves around the trade deadline. And then for the Timberwolves... Even if they get Rudy Gobert back for whoever they get out of the Pelicans and OKC matchup, this is still something that feels like it's sitting on thin ice right now. So very excited to watch that and how it ends up playing out tonight as we get into the play-in games. Even more excited to take a quick break here and take a look ahead at the play-in games, the rest of what to expect in this year's NBA playoff with ESPN NBA analyst and Old Man of the Three podcast host J.J. Reddick. Next. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, NBA playoffs getting going this week. Very excited to talk to our next guest, uh, former NBA star, current ESPN NBA analyst. You see him all over, first take, host of the Old Man and the Three podcast, J.J. Reddick, kind enough to give us some time here. J.J., how's it going, man?
1: It's going. It's going. Yeah, I, uh, I actually took last week off. My kids were on spring break, so my wife and I... Uh, Left them with the grandparents, and we went to Portugal, which was awesome. Um, So I'm just catching up on stuff this week, and I've got first take. I've got podcast stuff. I'm I'm calling uh, a game this weekend in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, just it's the season. It's the NBA season. This is what we do. It's a a veteran move. I, I need to pass that along to my parent
0: friends. Leave the kids on their spring break week and go have your own spring break as parents. That's a
1: life hack. Well, in fairness, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time with our kids and, uh, I did, I, I took the boys skiing, uh, the weekend prior in Colorado. So like, I felt like I, and I I was solo with them. So I felt like I had a spring break with them, you know, it was nice. There you go. Best of both worlds, man. And and like you said, plenty
0: on your plate to come back to. So well-earned time alone for mom and dad there. You mentioned getting a call and, and obviously seeing you calling a bunch of games, seeing you doing all this stuff. Have you had a favorite role that you've occupied? You wear a lot of hats currently in the NBA media landscape. Have you found yourself gravitated
1: to one more towards the other? You know, it's funny. I, I like them all. And this is why last year was so valuable for me. Um, because I felt like I got to dabble in a little bit of everything. I did pretty much all of the studio shows at ESPN. Um, Tim Corgan, who, who, uh, sort of is like the OG broadcasting guy for, for uh, producer for ESPN was kind enough to give me some games towards the end of the regular season. And I guess I was good enough that he let me do some playoff games as well. So going into the summer, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I, you know, obviously I wanted to keep doing the podcast and all the content we make, uh, with Old Man of the Three and 342 Productions. But at ESPN, it was really just like, I want to do first take and I want to do games. And so that's kind of what we we worked out. And I love them all, but l- let's be honest, man, like calling games, there's just nothing like it. And it's the closest you really feel uh, to the game itself. Uh, you know, your you're front row, uh, you're analyzing in real time, um, you're reacting sometimes in real time. Like that's the that's the thing that I didn't realize is, you know, as a basketball fan, I'm calling games with Ryan Ruco and RJ and, and we're like not giggling, but we're like slapping each other after a crazy dunk or a crazy shot. Um, so it's fun. That's, that's the part that I like the best, but truthfully, I, lo- I love all three things I do.
0: I, I I'm glad you said that. Cause that's what I've always tried to explain to people, especially like former players that are getting into all this. Is it, it gets the closest to scratching that itch in the way that you prepare. And, you know, everyone's heard you talk about, you know, maniacal preparation, the way that you went about your process. And I'm curious now, as we get ready to start the postseason for you, you once famously owned the the longest active streak of making the postseason. You had 13 straight years where you, regardless of what team you were on, were in the postseason dance. And we always hear about this difference in the jump from regular season to postseason. And in the NBA, it feels as stark as maybe anywhere. From your experience, what was the biggest difference? What is that thing that you try and you know impart to young guys that you were playing with or guys you talk to now that are getting ready to make that jump for the first time?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a few things that are really important about playoffs versus regular season. The first is very simple, and that's just the value and intensity of every single possession. Uh, You know, you go through an 82 game regular season, and you're playing your fourth game of the like. There's possessions that you know. It's not that you take them off, but you just you lose that mental focus a little bit. You can't do that in the playoffs, um, or you'll lose the possession. And if enough of those add up, you lose the game. And if enough of those add up, you, you lose the, the series and you're going home. So I think the the physical exhaustion, the intensity, the physicality it it certainly increases. But to me, it was always the mental focus and 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 preparation required um, to really execute a game plan in the playoffs. Uh, and, and part of that, so that the extension of that, of course, it, and this is something I would tell young guys as I got older, because I filled every role. Right, I was a starter, I was a sixth man, I was. A, Uh, a rotation player. I was a guy who uh, early in my career might not play one series and I would play another series. And that's just, you know, the playoffs are about matchups and, and when you can exploit matchups, generally you're going to have more success. And so if you're one of those guys, that's a rotation player like night to night in the playoffs, your minutes may vary. The bench, I think is very important. It's one of the underrated parts to me of the playoffs, you think about some of the teams I was on, whether that was the Clippers or the Sixers and like our starters would win the minutes and we may sit out eight minutes or 10 minutes and we lose a series because in a five minute stretch in game seven against uh, Toronto Raptors, we're a minus 10, you know, in a two point game, you know, it's like that, that's when Joel Embiid's off the floor, you know, so it's like that stuff matters. And so I think, I think, the value of, of sort of having a deep bench is, is really important. Um, and, and, and the other part is just, it's part of that is just understanding that concept. And I, I got that as a player. Cause I went through it with Stan early in my career. Like some series are just not your series. Mm. And I'll give you a great example. That was 2010. It was my fourth year in the NBA. We're coming off the finals in, in a playoff run where I had started eight playoff games and then played eight minutes in the conference finals. I only played in one game. And then I got a DNP in game two of the NBA finals. And I played in games three and four and five, you know? So it's like, you just have to kind of understand that in 2010, you know, we played Steven Jackson and the Hornets, not a great matchup for me in the first round. We played Joe Johnson and the Atlanta Hawks in the second round, not a great matchup for me. And then I played a ton and played well in the conference finals against Boston. So, you know, I I think as a player, you just kind of have to understand that when you're not one of the two or three best players on the team night to night, it just it just varies so much. I want to stick with that idea of matchups because I think that's an
0: interesting lens to look at, especially the Western Conference through this season with just how much of a glut there's been in the middle of that conference for the entire year. We're getting ready. This podcast is going to release on Tuesday, so the play-in games are going to be starting on Tuesday night. Looking in the West, especially, I know everyone's hyper fixated on the Lakers because of LeBron, but is that a team from the play in that can actually prime themselves and make a deep run in the postseason based on what we've seen post All Star break? Yeah, it is.
1: Um, uh, you know, I, I had to talk myself into it a little bit um, early on when they started this stretch uh, post trade deadline uh, because they've been really bad. Like they, they, were a, they were a bad basketball team the last year and a half, year and three quarters, up until the trade deadline. It was a poorly constructed roster. Uh, they didn't have a lot of quality rotation players. Um, so night to night, like you just didn't know what you were going to get. Um, they have depth now. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt in particular really helps them defensively. They addressed a lot of their issues around shooting at the trade deadline. Um, I know that, I think they had a 16 and seven stretch that they're, that they're just finishing up, uh, maybe a game off there. Um, but they, they, they played great basketball, uh, the last month or so of the season. They're a team that can make noise. And, and the West is interesting to me because, you know, we only saw Kevin Durant with the Phoenix Suns for eight games, but Kevin Durant, his last 27 games played is 25 and two personally. When you go back to his time with Brooklyn and his eight games with Phoenix, um, to me, they're the favorites. And then you you try to figure out uh, a lot of teams that are really good in one area and not very good in other areas. So the Denver Nuggets, the number one seed, uh, they've got a great offense. Uh, there's some question marks about their defense, um, and they haven't played well going into the playoffs. They're on a seven and ten stretch over the last seventeen. Uh, the Memphis and and Sacramento in the two three spot. They're, they're kind of the a dichot- you know a, a, a Mirror image of each other, but in reverse, where Memphis is so good defensively, but they really struggle to score in the half court. And then you have Sacramento, who's a great offensive team, historically great offensive team. And they suck at defense. So <laughs> it's like, and then, and then you and then you factor in the Warriors, who've just been uh, you know, a conundrum all season trying to figure them out. Uh, it's just it's just a really interesting conference. I'll throw the Clippers in there, of course, of the one team I didn't mention, but I really believe there's seven teams that uh, can, can win the Western Conference. You could talk me into any of them, and we'll, we'll see how this plays out. And I, again, I hate to reiterate it, but I think a lot of it will come down to matchups. So... Seven teams deep in the West where I think you're right, and I think a lot of people would agree. It
0: feels like especially having teams like Golden State and the Lakers that have all this proven postseason capital built up in our brains against you know young team like the Grizzlies, a team in Sacramento that hasn't been to this stage in 16 years. Is the East a little easier? Like really outside of the top three teams, is there anyone you think has a shot of cracking what's been a pretty hard upper crust of that conference?
1: Yeah, I mean it- – i i love i love Cleveland um they're a team that on as Brian Winhurst put it to me uh, a couple of weeks ago they're a team that on a spreadsheet looks like a contender um they they've had a top five defense and a top 10 offense all season they've been one two or three in net rating pretty much all season they've got the most double-digit victories uh in the Nba but they really struggle in clutch time uh, you know, in, in close games, they're basically a 500 team where some of these other contenders uh, have really separated themselves in those games. Uh, if Danny green, you know, is, is like the Danny green of five years ago. Yeah. I, like I could see it. They, they really, that's that fifth guy for them. that I think at times hurts them because they don't, they don't have a guy that fits it perfectly. Like Karis Lavert to me is really good on the ball. Um, but if you play him with Mitchell and Garland late game, you're losing something defensively that you get with Stevens or a Um, And he's not, you know, not a great shooter off the ball. So, you know, trying to figure out that team, I, I think, is interesting. Do I think they, you know, are even going to beat the Knicks? I, I have no idea. I love that series in particular in the East in the first round. That, that's probably the most intriguing first round series to me, regardless of what happens in the play-in tournament. But to me, you've got three teams that can win the East. And I would put the Celtics and the Bucks right now. I'd put them uh, slightly above the 76ers. But I've loved how the 76ers have played from December on. Uh, and Joel Embiid has had an unbelievable season. He the ClearCon
0: MVP. Do you agree with Doc Rivers? We shut that thing down after he put 52 on the Celtics head? Or
1: was it still pretty close between him and Jokic for you? Um, so I we actually uh, recorded our weekly show, The Old Men and the Three Things, earlier today. I, I had a vote. I kind of waited to the last minute because there was a couple all-NBA things that I just wanted to kind of parse through over the weekend. Um, I actually voted for Giannis uh, for MVP. Um, I, I, I didn't feel like Joel was clear-cut at all. I think all three of those guys, you could, you could talk me into them being MVP and you could talk me out of them being MVP. Uh, but Giannis, for me, ended up, being, I don't want to say it was clear cut, but Giannis, I felt very comfortable making that vote with Giannis as the MVP.
0: Why do you think he hasn't gotten nearly the billing and the discussion around that award for so much of the season, despite how good that team's been?
1: I, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Um, I thought there would have been a little more, especially early on with the way the Bucks started the season and with Middleton being out of the lineup. Um it felt like uh, he probably should have gotten more buzz early. Uh, And then Jokic for a stretch of time was having this incredibly efficient statistical season. They were winning games. uh, And like I said, after they were 46 and 19, they were seven and 10 over the last 17. That's 25, 20% of the season. It's hard for me to ignore that. Um, Joel has been awesome and he's been steadily awesome. There's, there's no question about that. Um, but look, I, I think how it ended up, you have Giannis who played 63 games and the highest win percentage by a significant margin over those two when he personally played. Um, Jokic played 69 games. Uh, Joel played 68 on a permanent basis. Uh, Giannis's production was better or as good as those guys. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's a great, uh, you know, statistical sort of historical stat. It's, you know, Giannis is, is one of... Uh, Eight, he's the eighth player now, or the eighth time, I'm sorry. The eighth time this has happened, because some players have done it more than once. The eighth time, somebody's averaged 30, 10, and 5 in a season. Uh, only two guys have done it with 50% shooting or better, and and Giannis did it with 55% shooting or better. So he literally had a wow. historical season. Uh, and in the seven previous times that that has happened, 30, 10, and 5, six of those guys have won MVP. The only person who didn't was Elgin Baylor in 1962. Uh, so for me, it was like, all right, the guy is at a historical season. Uh, he he did it without his his Robin, without his best sidekick, for much of the season, and they were the best team. And they were even better when he played. I mean, you look at you look at Joel Embiid. They were eleven and five in the in you know in the games that he missed. Uh, I'm sorry, so he played sixty six games, but they were eleven and five in the games that he missed. And that's basically the same win percentage as when he played. It's it's hard for me to say when we talk about value. It's like is that clear cut then? Is that clear cut? I I don't know. I don't know. It's it the, the the thing I keep going back to is like they all deserve it. They're all deserving MVPs. I could again, I could talk you into any three of them. I could talk you out of all three of them. So you and you
0: said the word in there. I wanted to get to this because I love the video you put out the other day. You mentioned the Batmans, the Robins. You offered up a third category, which was the Alfreds. <laughs> Alfred's yeah. storming in and Batman begins, or yeah. saving Batman in that scene. As we go into the NBA postseason, do you have a couple of favorite Alfreds that you're excited to watch as we get going in the
1: action here? Yeah, I mean, my favorite Alfred is Derek White from the Boston Celtics. Um, Again, they didn't give up a lot uh, to get him at last year's trade deadline. He fits their team perfectly. Uh, He's shot the ball really well this year. Um, He's really benefited from uh, Missoula ball, uh, which is, you know, just – A lot of passing, a lot of ball movement, break down the defense, kick, kick, good to great. Um, They shoot as many threes as the Warriors. They make as many threes as the Warriors. They've been one, two, those two teams all season, and three-pointers attempted and three-pointers made. So he fits them offensively, Um, and then defensively, I think he's been phenomenal. I I had a hard time leaving him off of my first team all-defense at the guard position. I ended up putting him as the second team. But, you know, their combination, it, it, it again, Robert Williams has been out for a lot of the season, but the combination, their two-man combo, him and Derek, him and Derek White, um, when those two guys are on the floor, the Celtics' defense is insanely good. Uh, I mean, like nine points better than league-best uh, defense. So they're, they're, their team is actually full of Alfreds. Um, and then, like, I'll just give you a, a Western conference. Like, for me... It's been talked about a lot, but who that fifth guy is for the Suns and, and to the point earlier, it may be a different guy series to series. Maybe you need more offense at times and, and maybe it's Terrence Ross, at, you know, closing a game out. But Josh Okogie, uh, for me, has been really, really good the second half of the season. And I, I look for him as a potential uh, game changing Alfred in the Western Conference. <laughs> There we go. The J.J. Redick difference. could
0: find you those game-changing Alfreds as you get ready to walk into the NBA postseason. J.J., know you got a million jobs to do. We appreciate you stopping by, giving us some time. Thanks so much. Enjoy the postseason stretch, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLID. Only on the DK Horse app. By the way, Brandon, before we finish out this podcast, important update that we I've been meaning to get to here. It took me longer than I'm proud to admit holding a Notre Dame degree to calculate the point total for your March Madness bracket that you famously couldn't be bothered to fill out on the app and the website with everybody else. And so, in crunching the numbers and doing the math, by a margin of 45 points to 37 points, poor showing for both of us, uh, given that neither of us had a team in the final four make it to our brackets, yeah. I have beat you in our March Madness Challenge, which means you're redoing Pro Day in South Bend when we go out there to host one of the award shows the first week of May. I was afraid of this, Mike. I don't trust you, but I do
2: trust you in this instant. I feel like you came at me a little too hard just now, but, you know, I, I respect getting doing math gets you agitated leaving tip is very frustrating. Um, but yes, okay, I'll, I'll do the damn pro day. I'm going to start getting ready now, start training. I need to get on the right diet and do all this stuff because I'm not going to go up there and just have my titties shaking around while I'm running at 40.
0: We're going to have to start to reach out and have some of the conversations back in South Bend, see if we can make sure we can get the ac- proper accommodations so we don't end up doing this in the field over behind the library. That'd be a tough <laughs> look. I'm not above it, but at the same time, we're going to see what we can make happen here so we can make you as comfortable as possible while I watch you sweat your whole ass off. Because when we did our com- our combine of sorts around the Super Bowl and the NFL experience that they had set up there, yeah. we went and ran the 40s and you dusted my ass. Like I'm very excited to see what your 40 time could look like but you were also sweating as hard as anyone I saw that entire week so I know we're going to have to have the towels the water and everything ready for you
2: I'm just listen I have to get very very hot to warm up but apparently it's just hilarious like I I told you I was playing basketball recently in Philadelphia at the King Summit and my father told me that the kids watching me warm up and I was just doing like regular drills were crying laughing laughing because I'm a big guy. I don't need the ball in my hand to warm up. I don't need to take shots. I need to be moving my feet and, and you know, get the sweat in. I see myself as, like, a kid from kicking and screaming. It's just really sad. But
0: I'll be ready. No, listen. I have no doubt. You understood it. A great understanding of who you are in the basketball court. Don't need the ball. I'm out here to help do the dirty work for you guys. Same way you're going to yes. understand what you need to not blow out a hamstring, running the 40-yard wow. dash. I'm excited, to add, legitimately excited to see what you're going to bench on 225 because you are one of the strongest people that I've ever been around, and I feel like you've still got the requisite chest mass to be able to go and move the weight a little bit.
2: Yeah, I need to start doing some push-ups, but my chesticles
0: are definitely going to show out for me, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that very excited for that we'll make sure that we've got all that videotape for everyone as we get going but brandon time to ask the important question do you know what time it is i do mike
2: A tornado flew around my room before you came Excuse the mess it made, it usually doesn't rain In Southern California, much like Arizona My eyes don't shed tears, but boy, they pour And I'm thinking about you, Oh no, no, no I've been thinking about you, Oh no, no, no I've been thinking about you do you think about me still, do you, do you? Or oh, do you not think so far ahead? Cause I've been listening to the
0: earth Ooh Or oh, do you not think so far ahead?
2: Cause I've been listening to the earth Ooh
0: Brandon, was this because Frank Ocean and BMW started dropping little hints about him at Coachella?
2: No, Mike. No. It is because this format's going to change soon, and I'm trying to get some songs off that I want to sing before I'm not able to sing anymore, and I've never done a Frank Ocean song.
0: All right. You know what? Just a happy little accident that yesterday, I think BMW posted a picture of the orange BMW from uh, Nostalgia Ultra and started dropping little hints Ooh. about um, about Coachella. This uh, I think coming up soon. I forget what the dates are specifically on Coachella. But keep an eye out for that one. Potential Frank Ocean sighting. As someone who just was driving home on the 405 the other day, listening to Blonde. Man, oh man, could I go for some new infusion of Frank Ocean content in our lives.
2: Every time, Mike. I'll I wait for him like I'll wait for... Party next door. Uh, who drops very infrequently? I think Frank Ocean feels like the marker for someone who drops infrequently. So it, uh, the Frank, he's Frank Ocean and Frank Oceaning, and anytime he drops, it's perfect.
0: Exactly. Oh,
2: SZA. We- SZA. is probably a good example of somebody who drops infrequently.
0: I would say like now, like Andre 3000 too, like we're lucky every time he just shows up somewhere on a feature, magically gifting, coming down from on high and gifting us a little bit of game. So all those kind of fit together. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and tell Brandon what a great job he did. Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third. Three quick ones on the way out. The WNBA draft uh, went off last night and not a lot of surprise. The Indiana Fever select. Aaliyah Boston, number one overall out of South Carolina. She was one of three South Carolina players taken in the first round, uh, along with Letitia here and Ziya Cook at 10 to the Los Angeles Sparks. Uh, here went to the Atlanta Dream. Uh, This is the 10th time that three players from the same team were drafted in the opening round, and the first since the Oregon Ducks had three in 2020. So, uh, awesome night. We talked about so much of the talent, so much of the good positive momentum coming off of the NCAA season in the women's side, uh, going to yeah. hopefully translate over to a nice summer for the WNBA as well.
2: Yeah, Mike, it, it's exciting to see these uh, players, especially after we ju- we just came off of it, uh, the, the tournament. So like Alexis Morris, uh, she's got picked up from the Connecticut Sun. Uh, you shout out to your home team. Uh, so yeah, I, things like this are exciting, um, but especially when it comes to South Carolina. I mean, they're just we expected them to have a lot of people go get drafted, but three in the top ten, or was it no? It's three in the first round, two in the, three top in the first 10. round.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, yeah That's And who, I and mean,
2: obviously, I obviously, uh, Aaliyah Boston being the the second number one pick uh, behind out of South Carolina, behind uh, Asia Wilson, uh, obviously in good company there.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, listen for all the conversation and Dawn Staley brought up a lot of remarks about how she felt her team was covered in the lead up to them ultimately being upset by Iowa uh Aliyah Boston one of the most physically dominant players in college basketball a national champion herself a player of the year a couple year uh, not this last year but the year before one of the best college careers that we've seen and someone who seems primed to come in and make a huge impact on the W and continue to grow her SAR. So excited for her, excited for the Indiana Fever. Um, I do not root for the Connecticut Sun. I am firmly L.A. Sparks on this side. Shout okay. out to the Oklahoma Ks.
2: Excuse, excuse the hell out of me. I thought you was, you was probably more of a front runner. You was a Vegas Aces fan.
0: No, I mean, listen, I'm excited about the super teams that we've got in New York and Las Vegas, but I, like a lot of my other pro sports tendencies, I root for friends, and so when Chanae Gwumake was playing for the Connecticut Sun, we rocked on that side, now her and NECA have been out in Los Angeles, and because I'm going to be out, firmly present at a bunch of Sparks games coming up this summer, we root for purple and gold around here. Ain't no other way around it. Uh, So... On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, twenty-one plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire one hundred and sixty-eight hours after issuance. See dkng.co/bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's get to that. Brandon. Uh, speaking of the draft, we got the NFL draft coming up, like we mentioned. And shout out to Jeff Schwartz and Duke Mannyweather who back over with Fox brought back another year of the Big Boys Club, taking a look at some of the biggest and best NFL draft prospects along the offensive line. And one of the video features they just dropped was taking five uh, prospects from the upcoming draft. Northwestern offensive tackle Peter Skaronski, TCU guard Steve Avila, Maryland offensive lineman Jalen Duncan, Michigan center Olu Oluwatimi, and Old Dominion O-lineman Nick Saldiveri all went to fogo to chow with jeff and duke and tried to throw down and they did for years what we saw the buffalo bills offensive line do led by eric wood um him and those guys used to do on thanksgiving go in weigh yourself before weigh yourself after so they took these guys to fogo to chow which if anyone's unfamiliar brazilian steakhouse that you have a card on the table green up means go red down means stop if you've got green up They're bringing out every kind of meat imaginable and shaving it off onto your plate. Brandon, we had a couple of like bowl game meals at Fogo to Chow with our team, which is always dangerous with like 100 plus uh, college football players. Watching five NFL offensive linemen go and put this down was a thing of beauty. I I
2: love it, Mike. I, I love meat. So this is a great place to go and just that. But I do have an issue with the fact that they just the meat bounces around from table to table. You know, I know it gets shaved oh. off so it's kind of it's it's technically new meat every time it gets to you, but not enough pineapple is, is served at, at these Brazilian steakhouses.
0: Not enough pineapple.
2: Yeah, they have a little pineapple to help with the with the meat pairings. You know, you know, you don't mess with the pineapple. Chicken hearts also they they have a Wait, lot.
0: Is you complaining about the chicken going around from table to table, a carryover from you talking about the meat at the Super Bowl media uh availability being picked over <laughs> and out in the open air? Is that what this is?
2: I mean, it's,
0: it's a similar Brandon, line of paranoia. Yes, Brandon, what? you realize that when your food is cooked in restaurants, it's in the open air, like it's in the air in the kitchen. It's not, it's
2: not the open air. It's the there's no sneeze guard over that media tent of of just stray strange meat taco. Tacos of all things, like the things that people eat with their hands. I don't even know, Mike. You, you know, tongs. I didn't even see any hand ties, hand sanitizer over there. But when you talk about these Brazilian steakhouse, they're like basically like a rack of lamb. They walk it over to you on these like forks, and then it just start like. Like, while the person is talking to me, I see the spit flying from their mouth just landing on my little steaks
0: and it tastes good. Brandon, someone could be spitting on your food as they're bringing it over. They have to carry it from the kitchen out to you and over the course of that time it may encounter the world. Like, at some point, your food is going (laughs) to meet the world and you've got to be, you accept it on a daily basis. Brandon, you order delivery, you order like DoorDash and Uber Eats more than most people I've ever met in my lifetime. Someone is handling your food in their car that you Never seen before. It's there. Have you seen
2: those seals? The sticker seals on those things now. It, it, it's proven that you can't really get into it. Like the the restaurant does that, not the driver. Mike, you trying to call me out for my Uber Eats uh, uh, habits? But listen to this. Listen to this. Do you remember Road Trip? Uh huh. Remember that scene where the French toast gets made? I think it's uh, Horatio Sands kind of like treats it because he was like I need I, I asked for like no powdered sugar or whatever it is you don't remember that you don't remember. no not specifically like, okay yeah it that that lives rent free in my head when it comes to like basically some french toast got molested and put
0: back on a plate um, dear and, god and it just yeah I can't I really I didn't need that word associated with French toast, but here we are. Uh, by the way, speaking of who won the contest, it was Saul de the offensive lineman from Old Dominion, who gained nine and a half pounds during this meal, which incredible effort there. Also, shout out to Steve Avila, the TCU offensive lineman, who went and took like a 20-minute shit during this dinner and didn't gain a single pound over the course of it. That man was hurt and came back and immediately said that he felt like he had to go back to the bathroom again, which makes sense because as you are training to get ready, you're eating pretty clean if you're most of these guys, like the combine and pro day prep. You're out there living right, and this much meat, on top of whatever you've been doing, if you haven't been majoring that in a while, going to probably lead to a solid case of bubble gut. So that just means Steve's been living right.
2: True, but that, that 9.5 pounds is a lot, Mike. Like, I, I don't know if I could get put that on in a sitting. i probably cap out around 7 pounds. Do you think you can do anything like
0: that? Uh, I mean, based on the water weight I gained leading up to my pro day, yeah, I feel like I've got that dog in me. And by the way, this is just another thing, right? Checking off boxes leading up to the Combine. What kind of competitor are you? How willing are you to put wow. your body on the line for the greater good here? And so, our guy Saul Devery managed to go out there and make his case. So, congratulations to all those guys. Excited to see more Big Boys Club content there. Uh, Brandon... Let's get to the third. Uh, Dumb question I saw on the internet yesterday that felt perfectly tailor-made for us, especially you, because while I got into all the Marvel movies, you were someone with much more of a background in comic books. You were always my go-to in the locker room. I always said every locker room's got people that have certain roles in the locker room community you've got a guy that's going to be in charge of making sure the music is taken care of in whatever section you're in you've usually got a conspiracy theory guy you've usually got a guy that's going to know what the temperature uv index all that important stuff so you can sunscreen it up and in my case i had a comic book guy in brandon and so when i asked this question brandon i'm looking for some of your expertise uh, this uh, question came from Cam probably on Twitter said which Avenger do you feel like you'd have a chance against in a fist fight no weapons or powers just a straight up fight Who is your answer
2: I had a bad answer Mike uh, originally I was thinking Hawkeye uh, but as I realized that, that this is someone who can hold his own against aliens without any powers in the first place uh, probably more difficult and I don't... I feel like it's boring to say Bruce Banner because I don't want to... I don't want... I, I want to, you know, see how fair fare against the gamma rays uh, of the Hulk, but... The Avengers are really strong, Mike. Like, that's a really... That's a really powerful group. You know what I'm going to say? Spider-Man. I would Peter Parker's ass.
0: Ooh, okay. Yeah, see, that that's the smart way to think about it is you've almost got to work in reverse of what you'd normally do with the Avengers and go from most powers... At the top end of this to least because like if you look at this scarlett johansson you know working as black widow don't want any parts of that here no trained in all variety of violence it's the same idea with hawkeye you don't want any of that mark ruffalo even kind of borderline but looking at everybody else robert downey jr is iron man a lot of people are going to look and say gets all his help from the suit and the tech As we saw in Civil War, still got to square up at some point. Like some of that turns into hand-to-hand combat. And he's had to do enough of that to where I feel like he's internalized some of that. Captain America, we saw what he looked like before that super serum. I saw Mm -hmm. people point out that he is still a guy from, uh, from, uh, was he Brooklyn or Queens? Queens, I forget. Uh, Queens. Yeah. And so there's that factor in there. But man... He was a tiny little shrimp like he's gonna have he always had the mindset like he had some dog lurking within him he just didn't right. have any bite on the back side of it. That being said, saw Spencer Hall put this answer out it's 100 percent right. The answer is Dr Strange.
2: Wow the wizard the the former uh, doctor yeah like he's, hes he's not ready he doesn't do hand-to-hand com- combat at all. No, there even, are very with few his instances. Powers.
0: There are very few instances where he's got to put pause on anyone. It's like magic, glowing rope, or those weird time discs. Any number of those things. He is much more reliant on magic than I think nearly anybody else who's dealing with you know different kinds of powers, supernatural powers in the Marvel universe.
2: That's a that's a good idea, and that's a good answer, Mike. I I, I got lost thinking about Avengers just over the time of the comic book history and not the actual ones that are on TV because like. What is Thor without a god? You know what I mean? Like what, like what is in our I mean, week? He's
0: still jacked.
2: He's still jacked, but you know, I'm you know, I'm not afraid of big tree fall hard. Um, you know what I really I would really like to you know, black uh, Nick Fury would probably F somebody up just because, you know, he doesn't have any powers anyways. I yeah, anyone with is, an eye t- patch
0: to me has done enough to earn the respect that I need to stay away from. It's like The way uh, cauliflower ear, as soon as you see it, is a do not pass go sign. Like if you see someone with cauliflower ear in the wild, they're probably either a former wrestler or UFC fighter and you need to run far away and not engage. (laughs) The same goes for an eye patch. I don't want any parts of what got you there.
2: Yeah, okay. Because of this, Mike, I would say that the MCU has really diluted – who is an Avenger that we know of off the top of the head. So I think we have their answers there. Like I'm, I'm glad Ooh. Spider-Man came there eventually, but he was a big part of the Avengers in the, in the comic book for a very long time.
0: Now I know he doesn't technically qual- technically qualify as an Avenger, but I'd say someone in like the MCU that we're talking about here. Yeah. And as he was presented to us in the movies, and that's what I'm going off of okay. Tom Hiddleston's Loki could get his ass whooped. no
2: powers there's something about him that feels like he's just like the ultimate defenseman he's like a like Muhammad Ali the way he could probably dodge some punches and take some but yeah I, I can see Loki being like just really crumbling under the pressure of actually having to use his fisticuffs
0: Yeah, I just feel like mischief and magic. Anyone that's got a major in that is underhanded and slimy as we know. He's trying to avoid confrontation and base. Like you just have to worry about him coming out of nowhere. He'd be the guy to like hit you from the with the chair from behind when you're not expecting it. If we were gonna put this into wrestling terms, like he's gonna be a guy you got to watch out getting sucker punch. But if it's a straight up fight and we can both see where the hands are coming from, I feel pretty confident that Loki's also gonna wear a lot of ground.
2: Yes, and also we forgot to mention Paul Rudd's character, Ant Man. Like I feel like Ant, he—I would say he—he's he's he's a trained thief, so he has a a, at least some type of jujitsu to get out of things. But he's not—he's not a guy who's going to be effing somebody up.
0: Uh, Yeah, I would probably—I would probably put him. Probably third on that list. If we're going to go down, start with Doctor Strange, move to Loki, and then go Ant Man after that. That feels fair because, like you said, got to have some respect for the craft of being a thief. Maybe you have to get yourself out right. of a pinch at some point, but I feel like Ooh. we've got a pretty compelling list. Ooh, what are you thinking?
2: No, I'm saying I don't want the Winter Soldier any part in time. Like no, no parts of no. no parts of any of that.
0: Again, that guy lived without one arm for a while. Like the things you've <laughs> got to do just to get by when that's the case. No way. That man's seen some shit, been through some shit. No thank you. Um, at Gojo Show on Twitter if you've got a better answer. And if you do, and you've made it this far to get to that point, we appreciate you. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five star rating, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Boom. Money in the bank.